I'm Eric from Longbox Review. I'm Peter from The Daily Rios, and this is episode 15 of Eric and Peter's Legion Project Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 15 of the Legion Project podcast. I'm your host, Peter. And I am Eric. And we are here to talk Legion once again. Welcome, Eric. How are you? Good, good. How are you, Peter? How, how's the cold, the winter treating you? I'm done with it. <laughs> done you with and me it. both. <laughs> I'm going to... Uh, how dare Polar Boy get into this book just now? Because all he does is give me a reminder <laughs> that I'm done with winter. In fact, this issue was, <laughs> you could say it was a nice, ah, I was like, ah, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait until yeah. I'm burning. Yeah, a respite from the from the freezing cold. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so to speak. So we don't have much uh, at the top here uh, to talk about. Uh, we are continuing on. This is year two of the Baxter run. Uh, but we have a, we do have a couple things that we want to um, remind our listeners about. The next episode that you will hear will not be a regu- regular Legion Project podcast. It'll be our second Tales of the Legion Project podcast, taking a look at Legion of the Superheroes Annual Number One, and on the cover it says, "Who Shot Laurel Kent." So this is the first annual for the Baxter run, and it's taking a look at a subplot that's been going on for a while now, and finally finishing that up. And uh, because it is outside of the normal numbering, we're going to throw that into a Tales episode. Our first one covered the Legion of Substitute Heroes special, uh, and if you haven't heard that yet you should because it's actually still playing out within the actual legion book oddly enough um but our next one will be on the first annual so definitely looking forward to that peter i can't wait uh to uh, reveal some information about that particular story uh, in terms of something i read in the legion companion book oh cool a question is asked of paul levitz regarding the specific uh, uh, plot, and and his answer is just hilarious. It's 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 very short. I'm the build up to this that I'm I'm doing right now is probably much more than than the actual quote itself. But I I find it so funny, so I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> Great. Great. So we get to dip into our uh, supplemental podcast format, which is awesome. If you sent us any feedback about the Legion of Substitute Heroes special episode, we will read it on that episode. And if you haven't sent us feedback uh, because you haven't listened to it yet, you certainly still have time. And Or if you want to give us thoughts on the annual, you can also do that as well. And you can send those thoughts to peter at thedailyrios.com or... Or you can send it to me at longboxreview at gmail.com. 
Peter, we did get some feedback for episode 14. Do you want to do that now or do you want to do the other announcement first? Uh, let, let's do the feedback. Let's keep them okay. waiting for a little bit. So uh, uh, real quick, this is, uh, this is from Chris. Uh, uh, he sent a, a quick note our way regarding episode 14 or issue and issue 14. Um, uh, he said, I bought this issue off the rack as a kid and was just bowled over with all these new Legionnaires. Too bad many of them didn't do much uh, moving forward, which, spoilers, Chris, <laughs> for me. Uh, funny they have Energy Lad front and center on the cover when he just gets embarrassed and dropped like a hot rock in this in this issue. <laughs> and we talked about that uh, in that episode, too. I don't know if I necessarily agree. Well, I mean, this issue, he's right. But... Um... I don't know if I agree with that in in in, in its extremity of what he's trying to what he said, but we'll mm. see. We'll okay. see as we go. Well, and I'm uh, as I've said many times now. I uh, this is new territory for me, uh, so I'm actually very much looking forward to seeing how those new characters fare in the book, um, especially <laughs> after issue fifteen. Uh, <laughs> but I'll get to that in a minute. Is that it for the feedback? Yeah, that that's everything I have. Okay, good. Short and sweet. So let's um let's announce our contest winner. Woo! I took your suggestion. I didn't announce it on Twitter. I decided to just wait until uh the episode just to keep the uh the suspense going. And um which one of who who actually picked the name? Oh, uh, Madison did. Who is Madison, in case they don't know? Oh, uh, sorry. So, so well, uh, let me back up just for a second. So Peter had the, the this great idea of taking all the names, all the, the contests, uh, contest uh, people, and um, uh, letting, letting uh, one of my girls pick out the name uh, out of a hat, literally. So that's what I did. Uh, wrote all the names down, put them in a hat, mixed them all up, and then had Madison, who is my comic book reading granddaughter, uh, and she's been on my show uh, a few times, uh, talking about comics and, and conventions and all that good stuff. And so I had her I had her pick the name out of the hat, and... And the winner is Ryan Lowry. Congratulations. Yeah. He emailed me through uh, one of the old uh, Daily Rios episodes uh, last year um, and mentioned that he's relatively new to the comics hobby. I don't necessarily know, you know, the time frame on that, but I thought that was cool. And then he uh, also put uh, his name in for the contest. So he wins the volume one trade paperback of Legion of Superheroes Eye for an Eye, collecting the first six issues of this Baxter run and uh, Ryan if you're hearing this send me your mailing address so I can ship the book out to you and um, the good thing about having Madison pick the names is nobody can be mad at us if they didn't win <laughs> that's right <laughs> so um, yeah so that was cool uh, congrats to Ryan nice and short simple contest um, and uh, as I said, I'll get that out to him. And uh, 
you know, once he gets it, hopefully he, he enjoys his prize. I mean, and that's kind of perfect too. If he if he's a newer comic book reader, uh, having this this first volume of of the series that's 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 a good way to in, uh, to uh, get introduced to the Legion, at least this form of the Legion. Yeah, I think it's a good opening um, arc. Um, a lot of people always say, "Oh, if you want to get into the Legion, go read the Great Darkness Saga." It's like, no, whoa, 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 slow your roll. No, that's a little too much. Yeah. And there are a lot of characters in those first, you know, in the eye for an eye storyline, but it's still, you know, good versus evil. You know, you can understand that. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, we'll have to hear his thoughts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ryan, so you you, got to let us know what you think of that particular trade. Yeah. Should we get into the the issue itself? I guess that means we do, whether we want to or not. (laughs) Ooh. Ooh. This might be a fun conversation then. Yeah, look, we've both been dropping hints. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, sh- shall we get into it then? Let's do it. All right, issue 15, Hostage on a Hostile Star. Gotta love that alliteration. Uh, written by Paul Levitz, always. Uh, however, we have a new penciler here, Greg LaRocque. LaRocque? Or, how, do you, how do you pronounce that, Peter? It is uh, from a video I found on YouTube from the man himself, uh, Roe, Greg LaRoque. Oh, like, okay, LaRoque? LaRoque, yeah. Okay. Like, row, row, row your boat, LaRoque. Okay, so Greg LaRoque is now the penciler uh, on this series. Uh, Larry Malstead is continuing as inker, as well as John Costanza uh, on letters, and Carl Gafford as color. So we at least get a uh, some continuity here. Um as as things change on this book, and Karen Berger is or continues to be the editor. Uh, the cover, however, is by Steve Lytle and uh, Larry Malstead. So, what is this issue about? Uh, new Legion artist, as I said, Greg LaRoque makes a splash page with fan fave Wildfire. Uh, however, more on that later as we go to a Legion operation beyond in Imskian space where Shadowlass and Sunboy and some other Legionnaires are saving Imsk from space dragons, which I thought was just a cool Silver Age thing to throw in there. Uh, Element Land does his best Starfleet command to Captain Kirk imitation by sending the Imskian team to rescue the abducted new recruits because they're the closest members. Meanwhile, Timberwolf, along with Sensei and Mig, visits Shanghala so that Timberwolf can talk to Karate Kid's gravestone and remind us uh, what he accomplished just a few issues ago. And at the uncharted system where, where Wildfire and the newbies were attacked, a solar flare grabs Monel and pulls him toward a nearby asteroid. The Legion cruiser soon follows. Wildfire, wild, <laughs> Wildfire, Dawnstar, and other Legionnaires head off to help. Element Lad ponders if Dream Girl's suggestion. Uh, to him has merit, and he and Starboy are worried about having so many new members all at once. Maybe he should have thought of that before. Back on the asteroid, the Legion soon discovers that behind the grabby solar flares is none other than Dr. Regulus, and some flame-based aliens who have, for some reason, decided to help him and move the plot along. Uh, And they've taken a liking to him. Sunboy challenges Regulus to a duel. This is sounding very familiar. 
In Metropolis, we have a short interlude with Cosmic Boy and Night Girl as they help dedicate the former Legion and Legion of Substitute heroes, their Rocket HQ, as a superhero museum. And we discover, weirdly, that Night Girl is a bit unnerved at all the attention from the crowd. Uh, From the Legion cruiser, the Legion members await the outcome of the fight between the two fiery foes. Unlike their last encounter, Wright doesn't make might as Regulus this time mops the floor with Sunboy. That is until Sunboy gets creative and uses his flight ring to render Regulus unconscious. And the issue ends with a melancholy Brainiac 5 muttering about an impending death that happened a thousand years ago. I, I'm, I'm more intrigued about that final page than I think just about anything else in, in this in this issue. <laughs> Yeah. I think we can probably take away that this uh, wasn't one of our favorite issues. No, no. No. My my problem with it is, as I was reading this issue, uh, I very clearly had in the back of my head uh, the issue of the... Uh, the, the pre-Baxter run of the Legion of Superheroes, issue number 286, which is a fight between Sunboy and Dr. Regulus, hmm. which was only three years prior. Right. And it's not like, you know, they constantly recycle through the villains of the Legion. I mean, that, that, just, that, just, ha- that just happens in the superhero books. Uh, it, you know, it's a trope. But it's, it, it, there's, it's, it's basically the same thing with a little bit of window dressing on it. Hmm. And that's what really bothered me. Um, considering that it, that issue was also written by Paul Levitz. Who was the artist on that? Was it Broderick? Uh, I believe, yes, it is It is Broder- uh, Pat Broderick. Do you have any background info from the Legion Companion on this issue? Is it too early to go there right away? Um, not re- regarding the story itself. Uh, I, have, I have some information about LaRogue. And why he came onto the book and and stuff like that, but because we know we know that Lytle left. We talked about it last um, episode that the demands of his artwork versus the demands of a monthly comic, uh, it was just getting to be too much, right? right? And they even reference it in. It's either this letter column or the letter column about this issue. I think you're right, yes. Right, where they said his production uh, schedule was six weeks, but a, but they needed a book to be done in four weeks. So it just wasn't working out anymore. Um, knowing that, and he even said, you know, he probably should have fought a little harder to, to stay on the book because he did enjoy being on the book. Um, but he just took that as, okay, well then I guess that's what I just, I got I'm just going to do covers, you know, or whatever. Um, so you have that aspect about the art. And then as, as I'm sure you read also in that letter column about this issue, the script for this issue apparently was written after issue 16's script. Yeah, that was kind of weird. Then you also factor in that, I'm sure this uh, um, is in your companion book, I read it on an interview and also in that YouTube interview, 
or I'm not sure if it's on the YouTube interview, but it's in another interview I read with Greg LaRoque. Um, and it's kind of mentioned in the little bio they do for the letter column about this issue, which is from the Baxter issue number 20, where Greg uh, called up Karen Berger or called up DC and Karen Berger and said, I want to do a book. And she just handed him a script. So, um, and it was a Legion. It was a Legion script. Part of me wonders, did they know that, because issue 16 is also drawn by Steve Lytle, um, did they know he was going to be delayed with that issue? So they, that was supposed to be issue 15, so they kind of quickly inserted this issue? Um, And that's why it's, number one, a new artist. Number two, it feels like it should come after. If it doesn't feel like it should have come after issue fourteen, right? And there's some just just some choppiness to it. It's a very transitional story in both story and craft. Um, and just because I know that Steve Lytle draws the next issue, I just wondered: Did they flip flop this? Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know because. It's, it's, um, I'm not taking anything away from Greg, Greg's artwork, but I just feel like the, if this was a script that was meant for Steve Lytle, is that why it feels, uh, lacking in some places? Like maybe, you know, Paul and Steve had conversations about each issue or about what they were going to do. So even if Levitz is writing a full script of some sorts, I'm sure Lytle might have had it in his mind. Oh, I can't wait to draw that fight between Sunboy and Dr. Regulus. We're going to put all this in, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to fill in the gaps where the script is, you know, where Paul has sort of let me, you know, maybe Paul had some empty spaces that Steve was going to finish, right? But if you get a new artist that wasn't in on that collaborative talk and he's just drawing the script, is that why it feels lacking in some places? So this is all just speculation based on the few facts that we have about it. Um, But that's what I kind of took away from it. it. It felt unfinished in some ways. Yeah, I think you're you're spot on there. I, it, it sounds very much like like Levitz and Lytle probably had a plan, and then you know because of the the shift and and the change uh, bringing Laroque in, then yeah, things things didn't quite get translated uh, as perhaps intended. And and you know Paul Levitz does in that letter column in issue uh, twenty. Where he talks about, or you know, he got because he got some he got some feedback from from a letter column writer about the disjointedness. Uh, he says your criticisms of the, criticisms of the story's opening are well taken, and other readers commented on the disjointed feeling. And he, that's where he mentioned um, the the fact that uh, fifteen was written after sixteen, and that we simply blew the opening for issue fifteen. You know, so he's he's trying to take some some credit for the the poor quality, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good word. Disjointed. It's not that it's it's poorly constructed. It's just it just was an awkward read. Um, especially considering this is the first issue of the Baxter Run that I read in real time, 
back in the 80s. So I was kind of jonesing for it. You know, I was like, oh, I can't wait to get to this. This is it. Right. Like, <laughs> this is it. This is, you know, my coupon kicked in for my subscription. I would read this issue. I would go collect the back issues shortly thereafter. I was all caught up, uh, more or less. Um, it's it's interesting to me that the first regular Legion title issue that I read was 304, featuring the Academy on the cover. And then I read this issue, and it has the newbies on the cover. So it's not even that, you know, that I necessarily was immersed into the Legion world on both aspects, which is kind of interesting. Um, it's why the Steve Lytle run isn't as forefront in my mind, because... You know, the first Baxter run issue I read was the LaRoque issue, you know, the first LaRoque issue. So that's kind of cool. Uh, now I've come to realize how how just important and strong the Lytle run really was. Um, and now I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Um, so I was all excited. And then, um, yeah, I was a little let down. I was a little let down. Got to say. So how... Since, since you brought this up, um, uh, coming into this, and this is... So issue 15 was your your first of the Baxter, mm-hmm. right? And so you you're reading this and you didn't have anything uh, or any any um knowledge of what came before this issue? I think I did. I think I knew about the Legion of Superheroes versus Legion of Supervillains and I do think because the Tales was already reprinting that story, um, at least by what we're up to, like the third issue of the reprints. So I was, I guess, I don't have my exact notes of, of I have to, I'd have to go back into my record books to see if I, if I was writing down what I was buying at this time. Because I think I started my record book collect, um, um, notation in like 1985 1986 so i don't know if i if i'm this early just yet um but i know that i was familiar with the war with the battle um but everything in between i wasn't i wouldn't know until short like i said shortly thereafter once i was getting once the coupon kicked in and i went oh it's starting at issue 15 oh crap i gotta go back and get the other ones so I would get them, you know, and, and read them, and uh, as we talked about before. Um, so coming into this, um, this definitely was the first time I met a lot of these characters, Telus, Quizlet, Sensor Girl. Um, but I was certainly familiar with the Legion, but not, not, um, not those specific characters, I guess. So, so you see on the cover of issue fifteen here those new members and some of whom you you just mentioned featured very prominently, and then you start reading the issue, and we get very little of them. Yeah. <laughs> so what I mean, do you remember what your what, maybe your response to that was? Uh, oh, probably uh, probably it didn't matter. It didn't hit me the way it did this time around because I didn't mm-hmm. know what the previous issue was about. So oh, court, yeah. maybe they were, maybe there was a battle previously because as the, as you just mentioned, you know, the story starts in, in just the middle of, of a action sequence. So, so mm-hmm. more or less. So, um, no, it, 
I think I was much more forgiving back then as a kid because I was just like, ooh, comics, comics in the mail. And, <laughs> you know, and just um, I was finally getting to read the second Legion book, you know, and uh, um, it didn't hit me in the way that it did reading it this time where I was just like, what the heck? That's not what I remembered from this book <laughs> as I was reading it and getting to it. And I'm like, where's the recruits? Oh, my God. They really are hostages. So and then but then to know that the next issue blurb says, oh, we're going to, you know, focus on the recruits. I was like, well, that's what you should have done this issue. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming off of 14 where the, the focus was so much on the, the, the new characters. Tell us Quizlet. Well, really just tell us in Quizlet. <laughs> A little bit of Polar Boy. Uh, virtually nothing of Sensor Girl. And so you uh, that sets up in your mind, at least for me, that, uh, that, that there's going to be something with these characters in the next issue. I mean, and as you said, they, they, they basically said that, right? Yeah. And, and then you get to this, and they're basically not even in the story. I mean, yeah. they're there, but they're 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 worth nothing to the story at all, except as um, pawns in this 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 battle between Regulus and Sunboy. Yeah, it's, it was very disappointing. Yeah, let, let's go to the covers first. Let's talk about some <laughs> something positive, and then we can okay. continue back because <laughs> I have thoughts about what you said too. Um, so the covers, both of them by. Lytle, both of them featuring Dr. Dr. Regulus in some form or another. The Baxter focusing on the five new recruits as captives and the Tales issue from Tales 340 featuring uh, a riff on the battle between Regulus and Sunboy. Um, so, do you have a favorite? Hmm. Uh, this one was a little harder. Uh, mm-hmm. okay. So the, the, the Baxter cover, uh, I love the construction of it. Yeah. I, I love, I love the colors, you know, the flames all around. I, I like how Regulus is front and center as, you know, the bad guy of the issue. And, and I like how the, the recruits, new recruits are struggling uh, trying to to get out of this, there looks like they're inside of a, a fire sphere or whatever, you know. So it, you know, it's it, it's very dynamic and it's very colorful, um, but it basically has nothing to do with the story itself, you know, because it it, it features the, the recruits on the cover, and like I said, they're barely in the story. So from from a storytelling standpoint, this this cover does not does not work. Like you said, on the Tales cover, issue 340, we do get a better sense of uh, there's a conflict between these two characters, and the cover clearly shows that. Uh, but I find the whole Sunboy uh, chained to what looks like a miniature sun or a fireball or whatever it is you want to call it kind of hokey. <laughs> so, um, but I will say, uh, at least on this cover, Sunboy's Legion flight ring is you can clearly see that and that gave it another uh you know push it up one notch for me because of what happens in the story. 
Oh, right. Sure. Uh-huh. But but I have I have to say I, I prefer the Baxter cover more, despite its its um, uh, flim flammery <laughs> trying to sell us something that isn't there. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they are captives in the story. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. As as if you just take them as covers without the story inside, I think they're both good. I think they're both worthy. Uh, they're dynamic as covers, but they do have some story elements in itself, not even relating to the inside, you know, just as covers themselves. The Tales one, because it has Sunboy on it, and I feel like he's a character that really hasn't have had much coverage. Um, no pun intended, but I mean, like, just... <laughs> just in the Baxter run itself. It's not like he's been a focus point for a while. That's true. So, Yeah, so it was kind of nice that he got a cover. Um, I certainly like the new recruits one because we just got introduced to them, so that's kind of a nice selling point, at least. Um, if you're going to use them, you might as well use them on the cover, and they do get used quite a lot here and there. So I, th- I think I'm good on both. I mean, I totally agree with what you said about, you know, the covers matching the interiors, too. But um, uh, I think they both kind of work. I don't know if I really even have a favorite. I could go back and forth, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I totally see that. I, I Like I said, I I was wish-washy about it at first. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, both covers have merits for sure, which is unusual because it doesn't usually go that way for me. I right. usually have a very clear winner in this this uh, competition that we have between covers <laughs> there are two things though that uh, two other points about these covers that i kind of i wanted to mention um and see what you thought well the first one is on issue 15 since they always put the credits on the cover and we see greg laroque um i don't know this because i wasn't reading at the time but i just have to wonder if people were reading this as it was being released and they got from 14 to 15, did they kind of look at that and go, who, what, wait, Mm -hmm. who? Because like I said, it wasn't announced in the previous issue that they were going to have a new artist. Um, So that probably was an interesting, I I imagine that had to be an interesting factor to somebody. Just a new name completely out of the blue. Well, I was, I was trying to remember back then if that was a common, I mean, not necessarily with the Legion book itself, but but just generally speaking at DC Comics, was that a common thing where we would just suddenly get a, a random issue drawn by somebody different than than the person who is on the book, you know, more or less regularly? Yeah, I can remember. I can remember fill-ins here and there. Yeah, and just yeah. So I, you know, even though I wasn't reading this particular title uh, at the time that it was coming out. I think my reaction would have been, um, oh, you know, this is just a fill-in. But then yeah. as we get down the road, we, we, you know, we, we do, well, and if you read the, I guess the introduction here, or the introduction of Greg LaRoque in, in the letter column in the back of the issue, then um, it becomes a lot more clear what they're doing. Yeah, but oh, that, I'm sorry, that's in the, that's in the later issue, issue Right, 20. that's in issue sorry. 20. Yeah, they don't yeah. even mention it. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. From this standpoint, it's it's just a fill-in guy, we think. Right. And then the second thing is knowing that Steve Lytle left last issue, and in the reprints, 
that are running concurrent to issue 15. Like I said, they're only up to issue 3 of the reprint. He doesn't start taking over the cover reign. He doesn't start taking over doing covers for the tales until like uh, issue 5, I think it is. that the, the reprint for issue 5. So, you know, we're doing a comparison between these two covers, but obviously the second cover doesn't come out for another year yet. So I have to imagine what he must have felt knowing, oh, you know, I'm no longer on the interiors, but I'm being assigned or maybe I asked to be on the covers. So he at least has some connection to this run that he just did. Um, I wonder what he felt like. I wonder what he felt like knowing that he was no longer going to be on the interior, but, um, you know, he's still got to work. And I believe he's doing, well, no, Doom Patrol doesn't come out for a while yet. So he's on the covers. Um, he takes over as cover artist for the Tales book. And he still does a few covers for the Baxter run, too. So I just have to wonder what he's going through at this point, you know, knowing that he's no longer doing the interiors. Well, he does talk about uh, in the, the companion book and elsewhere, like you mentioned, you know, he he did regret his youthful um, decision <laughs> and and uh, not, you know, not being willing to, as he was seeing seeing it, uh, compromise his artistic integrity. Uh, you know, and, I, and I'm 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 very much paraphrasing here, but uh, and and, you know, in hindsight, he. He uh, regretted that decision. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I was wondering how long after this, this decision, did that regret hit him? And at le- but at least he had some connection by doing these covers that were right. coming out, you know, a year later or whatever. Do we want to? You want to talk about the issue? You want to talk about Greg LaRoque? What do you? Where do you want to go next? That's well. Since we're talking about the art let's let's yeah let's jump to the greg laroque stuff that i that i uh, gleaned from the companion book and okay. elsewhere i i was actually listening to a, a a different podcast uh it's called eating the fantastic uh because the um uh the host of the show was interviewing paul levitz and as as i was listening to this uh paul referenced this very issue and this situation with between the artists Lytle and LaRoque, which was just a a wonderful happenstance that I because I I was just listening to this on Friday, Peter, and uh, as as we well yesterday, uh, <laughs> as we record it's it's the following day so or no this is I'm sorry oh boy my days are all screwed up this is Sunday so it's two days ago that I was listening to this <laughs> so it was just a, a weird um, convergence of things. So, uh, yeah, so let's talk about that. You already mentioned um, how LaRoque contacted Karen Berger. Uh, What you didn't mention, uh, I think, was uh, apparently Jim Shooter over at Marvel uh, because LaRoque was doing Web of Spider-Man. And uh, Jim Shooter wanted uh, a different look, a different uh, different visual look for the book, I guess. And so he basically fired LaRoque off of Web of of Spider-Man and that's when LaRoque called up Karen Berger and uh, got, got assigned this issue for Legion. Uh, also, he, uh, LaRoque in the Legion Companion was, ta- uh, was talking about how Paul did full scripts for a while with him. 
Uh, and then once they got comfortable, I guess, with each other, he, uh, Paul started giving uh, LaRoque plots instead, So just like uh, Paul did with Steve Lytle, so that he could flex his artistic muscles, Greg could. Uh, and it also mentioned that Greg would do half the issue in two weeks and the other half the following two weeks, so that there's that whole uh, four-week versus six-week situation between LaRoque and Lytle. And uh, like I said, finally, the, the thing I, I mentioned about the podcast, uh, Paul referred to LaRoque as less innovative, uh, a less innovative artist, but a great soldier. And that's a quote. Uh, so he basically, LaRoque, would draw whatever Paul needed for the book. Hmm. And I thought, wow, that's... <laughs> I'm, I, 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 can, I, I guess I can totally agree with Paul's assessment based on what I'm seeing here in this issue uh, so far. But, I, you know, I thought, that, I thought that was very interesting that he referred to his collaborator on this book as being less innovative as his pre, uh, predecessor. I mean, which is, which is true based on what we have experienced, I think. I think we would agree with that assessment at this point, right, Peter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But still, that's kind of a kind of a slap in the face. <laughs> well, let me piggyback on some of that um, because uh, it was kind of nice to learn some things about Greg LaRoque that I hadn't learned that I didn't know before. Um, so just some just just some dry facts here. He was born February twenty fourth, nineteen fifty four. So he just celebrated his sixty fifth birthday last month. Always wanted to be a comic artist as a kid. Legion of Superheroes apparently was one of his favorite books to read. He began his career on a mystery in space issue. He did some backup tales in Warlord on OMAC, which is kind of interesting because I'm actually collecting those backup tales and I I didn't know that those were drawn by him so that's cool he did a a pretty good run on Power Man and Iron Fist over at Marvel as you mentioned he did Web Web of Spider-Man he did the first four issues and then inked John Byrne for issue number five and from that video interview that I uh, saw um Jim Shooter told him that he wanted LaRoque to draw a little more in the Kirby style or Kirby house style. Not necessarily maybe in, in a, not to ape Kirby, but just sort of that dynamic thing, that house, house style that him and Buscema and all those other people were doing, you know. And LaRoque said no. And then that's why he was fired. He, oh. he said he was shown the door. Wow, Okay. Yeah, uh, he didn't mention that little tidbit in that in that interview in the companion book. Yeah, when he said it in the video interview, he kind of said, oh, "I'll just put it out there. This is what happened." <laughs> <laughs> he stated in a 2013 interview, "I decided to leave Marvel for personal reasons. We know why." And the first person I called was Karen Berger. We mentioned this. Um, she handed me the next available Legion script, and the day I handed in the work, she offered me the book. That's pretty amazing. And then also to touch on what you said about the innovative versus, you know, being a soldier. I mean, I agree that 
Steve Lytle to the Legion was like Perez to New Teen Titans. Mm. It was so detailed. Um, it's not necessarily the definitive look for the Legion, but he definitely created his own version and and his own mark. And it is a little, you know, when you when you get into the LaRoque stuff, it's some of you know the pages, the page layouts a little wider, panels are wider. Um, there's not a lot of detail in the technology side of it. Um, the aliens are different looking, but they're not as definitive as, as Lido would do with the background aliens. You know, he would really just create, um, some interesting people and some interesting character designs. It's going to take some getting used to the way LaRoque draws some of the Legion, some of their faces, some of the anatomy. I do like a lot of the big splash pages that he he brought onto the book. Um, I love that shot of Shadowlass. I think she's. I think that's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when I read when I saw the first splash page of Wildfire, I thought, oh, you know, it, it's not that he's similar to Lytle, but it didn't feel as different. But it's you know, as you go in, it, it's 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 different. It is different artwork. I don't think it's a. a a complete opposite to what Lido was doing, but it's and it's certainly not within the same wheelhouse. But it, it's it's not as jarring um, as maybe like when um, um, who did the Joe Orlando, you know, when he did issue number six or whatever that mm-hmm. was. Um, it's different, but it's you know, luckily it's not so 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 different. It's just not what we're used to. I right. think that's really what I could say about it. it's just not yeah. what we're used to. Or what I'm used to, um, yeah. And just to add on to that, the the the, yep. the, the aspect of familiarity. Uh, I also thought there were some panels in this, many panels in this book, where I it was almost like we were looking at Ernie Cologne's art for Legion as well. Hmm. You know, I, I I can see hints, or I could see similarities anyway. I think the biggest takeaway from looking into Greg's biography and background is to discover, which I had no idea, that he's Asian American. He is, he is at least, I think, um, I don't think he's full, but because uh, his he has pictures. I found his, his MySpace page, <laughs> and he has pictures of his family and his pictures of his work, and he has some really nice um, Legion pinups, which I'll need to send you the link and, and so you can see him, and maybe we'll put it on our show notes too. Uh, some like commission work that he did. Um, so he has pictures of his mother. She doesn't, she looks American. Uh, maybe his father is, um, he's Filipino. He's part Filipino. I had no idea. When you look at the letter column from issue 20 of the Baxter run and, and he draws himself with the Legion, like in that little thing where they're, they're, the Legion are kind of like crawling out of the page while he's sleeping. He doesn't look Filipino there. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the interview that I saw, um, there's another interview where he worked on a on a anthology for Asian-American creators. Um, he's Asian-American. And um, I was like, that is shocking to me. I did not know that at all. And... It also goes back to, it's a little bit of a tangent, but one of my other favorite books at this time was Justice League during the Detroit era 
with art by Chuck Patton, who I really liked at the time. And only found out through, I think, the DC Challenge book at that time, where they drew, he actually drew himself, where he was an African-American. So you have George Perez on Titans. You have Greg LaRocque, who, you know, for me, was the Legion artist after Keith Giffen. You have Chuck Patton. You have all these um, uh, representative artists that at the time, other than George Perez, I didn't know. You know, I knew George Perez was... Uh, Latino back then. So it kind of makes me wonder, does uh, he did in the interview say, you know, I didn't really bring any of the Filipino culture culture into my artwork. But on some level, it's probably, you know, if he's, um, I think he was friends with Nudie Nebrez and some other, you know, creators um, out of Marvel that came out from the Filipino invasion, what they called the Filipino invasion. Um I have to wonder if some of it probably spilled in, maybe some influence or whatever. But he was, I think he was born in Maryland, I think. I think he was born here. I'm not certain. Um, but I just thought that was a fascinating thing to discover. Well, yeah, I I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, uh, either him or, or the Chuck Patton thing. So yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and to know that, he is, you know, maybe this is a spoiler for you, but uh, <laughs> he will be on the Legion book for just shy of three years, uninterrupted. Mm. So um, that's a pretty great run. And then he goes on to do The Flash for almost five years. You know, right. so and, and um, that's actually I, where I, I, I knew him then, you know, yeah. back in that day. That's that's where I was familiar with his work was was the Flash title. Right. And, uh, you know, maybe it's because I am Puerto Rican, but I just feel it's important to note these kind of things because I mm -hmm. think we we sort of wash over some of that kind of historical knowledge um, in an art form that is predominantly not, you know, um, built on on creators of ethnicity. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, that, you, I guess that's false because Siegel and Schuster were, were Jewish. But, um, you know, in this time frame, that that info never seemed to come out, and I just think it's important to know. I just think yeah. it's important to know. Doesn't take away that you know, like I said, the the, the issue still is um, is a little bit of a, a disappointment, but um, <laughs> <laughs> not because he's Asian American, obviously. No, no. Um, just, just because it, it just was, you know, like on some level. But just on the other hand, um, I do know that uh, out of this. Um, especially since he's the artist that I, I followed, this was it. This is, I, I just knew, you know, I, I certainly became a fan of his artwork, even if it's not the most polished or, you know, as Levitt said, you know, he's a soldier. He's, he's sort of creating these books in his style as a, as a job, as necessity. I mean, it's not like he didn't like doing it, you know, um, but it's just different. It's very different. Yeah, and I don't. I don't have any major complaints with his work. It's 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 just not Lytle. Um, I think he does a, a good enough job depicting uh, the Legionnaires and and the action and and uh, you know he, he. I don't know if it was him or the colorist, but they threw in a lot of Kirby Crackle in there, which was kind of cool because of all the the um, the, the sun uh, connections. 
Uh, I do. I, the only com- real complaint I will I will make of this is that, and again, I don't know. Is this the inker or is this is this is this the rogue himself? But uh, the faces all kind of seem the the male faces of the legionnaires all kind of seem the same for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, I know it's 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 a it's a pretty damn good, uh, pretty damn well drawn comic. Yeah, he has some interesting uses of like anatomy. I think some of his anatomy, yeah, the neck, <laughs> some weird leg twists. Um, that's just uh, you know, I just I, in my eye, I'm just thinking, oh, I, I just got to get used to it again, especially mm. because we're coming off of Lytle. Yeah, everybody has the same chin, basically. Now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah, I'm, now I'm nitpicking, but. And I don't want to start it that way. Like it's you know I don't no, want to, no. I don't want to say that uh, it's always in comparison to Lytle. I just, as I said before, was so shocked at how much I loved those Lytle issues, and how I just never really knew. I didn't know what kind of impact he had on the book until we started doing this podcast. So mm-hmm. it's um, it's just unfortunate that it doesn't continue. But you know we are on a new path, and that's uh. And that's where we'll go. So we we were we mentioned how um, people reacted to this issue as being disjointed, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if if they were kind of going off uh, like the first page, which is this I thought was a great kind of um, not, it's not really technically a splash page, but just a, a great f- uh, first page of, of the issue because we start in the middle of something. I mean, which is a common literature uh, uh, fiction device, right? And and we get this great um, uh, heroic pose of wildfire. And like I said in in the the uh, the synopsis, you know, this wildfire has long been one of the the fan favorites of the book, and and here he is being his surly self as he in, uh, inhabits another one of his costumes because something has happened. Uh, you know, even he said, you know, the first words in this issue is stupid, helpless brats <laughs> <laughs> to help, I think, pick uh, or to think I helped pick them. So referring to the, the the new recruits. So, you know, I think Dirk is just more of more um, um, displeased because he had to go through the the process of coming back to Earth and and <laughs> getting a new suit <laughs> than anything else. That is a pretty great transition now that I think about it, though. You go from the hope and the potential and the, you know, the very rah-rah legion splash page from the previous issue, the last page, right? And then the first thing you read after that is stupid, you know, about the brat line. Like, that is pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. It, it totally undercuts where we left off in the last issue, which I, I thought was, was a nice um, way to set the tone, I guess, to, to shake things up. Is this information new on page two about um, every time he gets a new suit, his anti-energy works differently? Is oh, that new? Oh, thank you for that. I had that in my notes, too. And so I was going to ask you about this because I don't recall, other than his first appearance in the book where he had all these amazing powers. I don't recall him actually 
exhibiting any anything different than what we're seeing in this issue. Basically, just you know, he can he has these energy blasts and he can fly on his own power, and that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. So I thought that was a weird thing to point out, and so what it made me because I like I said I, I I can't recall that being any different in the past. So what I was thinking was perhaps in the future are we going to start seeing that? And this is this is Levitz's way of of uh, queuing that up for us, right? Which he's been doing for a while. We've talked about this before, where he's throwing in little personality things, little power things here and there that maybe never see the light of day, but it's at least his way of saying, look, these characters have shouldn't have the same personalities. Maybe they their power sets could stretch a little bit. And I thought that was kind of interesting for Wildfire especially. Um, you know, if, he, if he's composed of anti-energy, you know, well, what the heck is that, right? And it probably could be anything he wanted it to be. You know, and um, they referenced Legion of Superheroes uh, 283, which I think I might have read way, 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 way back. But it's an origin story for Wildfire by Roy Thomas, of all people, Howard and Howard Bender. Um, and it adds, I guess, some new information to the Wildfire origin. But that's the first time I saw the thing that you just referenced, that the first time he got the containment, containment suit, he could do like a whole bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. And he, I never he was knew like that a, before. Yeah, he was like a combination of several legionnaires at that point. Yeah. yeah. And maybe it's just Levitt's way of saying, look, he's stuck in this suit. We got to give him something. We got to give him, you know. And, and I kind of know where we are going to go on one element of it later. But... um, um. I didn't know if that was a fact that a uh, hardcore Legion fan might might know, or maybe that's, you know, as you said, maybe it is just something new for here on out. And I, I like on, on page two, at the, that top panel, where we see four additional Wildfire suits in the background. And Wildfire does make the, the comment about, you know, maybe one day Brainy can mass produce these suits so I can have consistent powers, like he said. But the suits are all a little bit different from mm-hmm. each other. And that doesn't, I mean, I, you know, from as a fan, you know, seeing different costumes and whatnot, and, and you know, uh, we will, sometimes artists will change up uh, how a, uh, a character looks. And that's always interesting in and of itself. But <laughs> I know I'm, I'm being really picky here, but in story, does Brainiac 5, uh, seem like the kind of person who would take artistic license in in producing these suits for Wildfire, or would he would he just make the same suit over and over and over? <laughs> and I and I do know that you know down the road because I've I've seen this in later issues where I you know where I actually came in, back into the Legion in the Baxter Run uh, that Wildfire does get a different look that LaRoque had um, had designed. Right, I think so, yeah, that's what I was referencing. Yeah, yeah. So we, yeah, we do get some some different things, some creative license with with Wildfire in particular. And and then since we're talking about these kind of off off the cuff comments or, or you know oddball comments, uh, at the bottom of that page, he says something as he's flying through the Legion headquarters after getting his suit. 
he goes through this room, I guess, and he's like, he just makes this comment about, we must have the arrest reports from everything back to the Legion's first case down here somewhere. That just seemed like a really weird thing for him to say. Because <laughs> it has no no bearing on this story. I wondered if it was maybe a continuation of just the new headquarters and Computo and it feels like maybe they took the new headquarters for granted, even though we've had it now for a long time, you know, at least a year, I think, or more. Um, well, yeah, definitely more than a year. Um, do they really know what, what is all in the new <laughs> headquarters yet? I mean, mm. maybe somebody like wildfire would be one that would kind of, you would think he'd be one that would go through every nook and cranny, but that was the only sort of takeaway I could give, especially because we got Computo back again, and he always pops up at random times. And um, I don't know. I, I don't have any basis of evidence for this, and I don't think it plays out later, but I just kind of felt like Levitz is just being silly with the headquarters a little bit. That, that, I think that's a good way to put it. I th- yeah, I think sometimes he just kind of throws things in just, I don't know, to... I don't know, to play with us, to to relieve some boredom. I don't I'm not sure what he's doing <laughs> because if we don't get something relating to that down the road, then what was the point? It was just wasted conversation. Hmm. I, I mean, I guess other than like you say, to kind of in some minor way build up the 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 universe, so to speak. Right. I don't know. It's it's it, if if that's the case, it's a little too subtle for my taste. Well, along those lines, and you referenced it in the synopsis, and I I again, my faulty Legion knowledge, or just I haven't read anything about it. Um, this whole thing with the dragons and Imsk. Uh, once I researched it, I went, oh, that is part of like Imsk history. This whole thing about dragons and the radiation from their scales. Uh, helping to provide them with, I guess, their ability to shrink in some way or another. Um, while I I always appreciate and I like when the Legion goes off and they, they just do these random, like, humanitarian jobs or just like, hey, some planet is in need of a new whatever. Um, that I always, I always dig that. I think that's kind of cool. It's, you know, they're, they're used uh, not just for defense, you know. Um, but then I... <laughs> I was like, what? There's dragons part of what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that about the, the Imskins. I, I, now that you've said that, it, that kind of rings a very tiny bell in, in the back of my brain. But but when I was reading this, I certainly didn't remember it. But what what a great, you know, you mentioned this before about Shadowlass on page three, that, that great splash page of her and, and Sunboy opposite her on the, on the other end of the page there do you know really displaying their abilities i i I thought that was really cool and it seems like seems like i made some comment before i had something in my notes before in a previous issue about shadow lass uh and her abilities it seems like they were that levitz was trying to expand her abilities or make her a little more powerful than just being able to create darkness and we see this on full display here in this issue, and I thought it was really cool because she's she is blocking a sun, mm-hmm. a sun's light. I mean, 
from a from a cosmic standpoint, that is amazing <laughs> that she's able to do this. I mean, they should be the the very very top, the zenith of whatever it is their power set is, right? Um, to be a member of the Legion, you would think that they would have the most skill at it, and she she certainly does because she's the planetary champion of her planet, you know, all that. Um, and it's also interesting to note on the next page where Sunboy says, uh, you know, look, I, I don't have that kind of refinement with my powers to just pick a random frequency or whatever it is, you know, I can't narrow my wavelengths. Um, um, but to know that he also is someone who has, you know, incredible power with what it is that he can control. Mm -hmm. Um, so I do like that about the character, or or that's something I always feel about the Legion, is that they should be the best at what it is, whatever it is that they they uh, have. In this sequence, this whole sequence, once we get past the dragon stuff, and then they are um, told to go rescue the um, the recruits, and right away um, they argue, they 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 debate, they argue, uh, you know. Um, who's to say that if if some experienced legionnaires were also on that same mission, if they wouldn't have been caught with their pants down, you know, or, or in the trap, um, or Colossal Boy saying maybe they should have uh, joined the Legion Academy, um, Sun Boy being the more tolerant one, surprisingly, and saying, uh, uh, well, look, you know, um, there's a lot of ways to train people. And this is a theme that goes on throughout this issue, this idea of maybe we don't get to see the recruits in action, but we certainly are seeing what the legionnaires think, the, the more established legionnaires, what they think of the, rec the recruits. And it made me go back to issue number eight, where Cosmic Boy was talking to Night Girl, and he is talking about how he has plans about, you know, whatever it is that he wanted to do at that time. And we came to realize eventually that it was he was going to leave the team. Saturn Girl was going to leave the team. Lightning Lad was going to leave the team. They were going to be, be these senior members. Um, he was always talking about new blood. And one of the bits of dialogue from Issue 8 was they. he was talking about the team in general. They need something to shake them up to change things around here. And... While discord maybe isn't the thing that you want in your team, <laughs> you know, or arguing or whatever, this issue showed that that is all they, they can talk about, you know, and soon enough they're going to be talking about yet another thing or a mystery or whatever. But it did make me think when you go back to some of the earlier issues, um, as a whole, the, the different team members were going off on all these different missions. And I'm talking outside of like the first five issues. Um, they had random missions or they were just sitting around talking to each other or they would comment about all these different things. Um, every now and then they might have something that made them all talk, whether it was the election um, or the Trinity leaving but now here's a whole thing that if we had to have something that was like the glue narratively, it's about the recruits. Mm -hmm. And I think we both mentioned in the previous episode where we were like, okay, 
you can't stick five new characters on a team without the book changing somehow. And I feel like this might be that change. And if we want to connect it to Cosmic Boy, again, I don't think that's exactly what he had in mind. But he did say, you know, we need something to shake them up. Um, so I kind of liked that about this issue, um, that we got several bits of dialogue about that. And I'm curious to see how that plays out in later issues. This whole notion of this is the thing that the it, it kind of makes everybody look inward again. And maybe that was Cosmic Boy's point. Um, mm-hmm. that everybody was focused on all these other things. So I don't know. What do you think about that? No, I, that, that sounds very, very logical. What, what isn't logical to me is, and I always go back to in-story stuff, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to bring in these new people and not have them at least go through some sort of training before they just go off on a mission, mm-hmm. right? You know, to Colossal Boys comment you know the uh we should have sent those kids to the to the academy first at least you know do something and um, i was trying to remember uh as you were talking uh when they introduced invisible kid you know that's a similar situation where uh a new member joined it was it was you know a particular situation with with uh the rebirth of computo but um i thought i remember reading that he did do some accelerated training uh before he was just thrown into some some legion mission and i'm like why why aren't they doing that with with the 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 new kids here in this and it just it seems perhaps like this is a convenience on levitz's levitz's part to to do exactly what you're talking about to to shake things up and get them talking about uh, the team structure and, and how everybody relates to to each other and and have a narrative through line like you like you mentioned. Yeah, especially with the knowledge that this issue was written after next issue, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. you know is called the next issue is called baptism <laughs> for for a number of reasons. But I mean, still, um, they are at least from what I I think I remember, they do get sent away on a mission next issue. But um, so it does kind of feel sort of backwards in that regard to and but then i do have to think okay they are on a mission with wildfire who is the one that he says you know i picked him i i helped train him whatever so i guess maybe on some level that is exactly what is being done that they are being put out to do a mission to kind of train them together Mm -hmm. um it just went it just went poorly that's very true through no fault of their own right you're right. Yeah, because uh, yeah, we, cause do we even know what that mission was? The the original mission before they got um, captured by Regulus? Because I'm, so. I'm sure it was probably something very innocuous. So, yeah. I mean, the, the, the star where they're being captured or where they were captured, they said it's an uncharted place of the United Planets, you know, an uncharted territory. So maybe they were just on like some kind of survey mission and you know. Well, yeah, because it, it does it does say it's an uninhabited, uncharted system within the uh, United Planets territory. Right. So, yeah, what the heck were they doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's this is this is my biggest complaint about the issue. Um, not to beat a dead horse, but uh, it seems very plot heavy and and 
uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you when you think about it. So it's you know probably not my favorite Levitt's written issue. Yeah. Based on that, it's really just an excuse to get Sunboy and Regulus together and fight again with a few well, other interludes. And one of those interviews, the, the one on page six, uh, the whole Timberwolf thing, um, you know, I, I guess I'm being nitpicky with this, but I was like, well, shouldn't, this, shouldn't this should have happened before issue 14? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're going to visit Shanghala. They have Mig with them. Sensei is there. They're visiting Karate Kid saying, hey, look, we did what we did. Um, he stopped off at Earth first. They did the whole let's find new recruits. Then he picked up Sensei and Mig again. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense, but um, it was like a little capper to issue 13, but it comes mm-hmm. a, an issue later. Right. And just a, a, another reminder that, number one, he's rich. Number two, we got a new character in Mig. Um, I don't think necessarily the whole go to lethal and put that flower in the, into the rock. I don't think that plays out anymore later. I don't know. Um, but I also don't feel like it would even be necessary to revisit it again, you know? Right. The, um, just the, just the idea that it was done and the impact it could have is enough. Yeah. And the impact that it has on Timberwolf is more interesting to right. me than, mm-hmm. yeah. And then the new character as well. So, um, this is just an interlude, although I love when Levitz does interludes like that. Mm-hmm. Um, this one I was sort of at the end of it going, oh, okay. I don't know what I got from that, but okay. <laughs> Other than to wrap things up in a, a nice little bow for, for Wildfire or uh, Timberwolf. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And then after that, I mean, we get we get the the capture of the other legionnaires proving element lads point that um even even experienced legionnaires would have had issues uh with with that situation so don't mm-hmm. don't uh don't blame the recruits so much um i don't know i didn't i didn't really find anything interesting in in that sequence outside of maybe seeing Laroque's design skills i kind of liked you know when monel was pulled down to the mm-hmm. planet you know, you see like little after images of himself. It's different from Lytle, but his at least he's not so traditional in his panel design, his panel by panel layout. You know, it kind of changes up every page, which can sometimes come across a little, a little joy jarring. Some of his choices are like what, but um, it's nice to see someone who you know he's not. It's early in his career, but it's not so early in his career that the choices don't feel random. They they feel like there's some thought behind it. Yeah. Um, and it's probably too early to really feel what he's going to do with the Legion book, but I'm I'm sort of like just kind of really paying attention to it uh, just so I can see how it grows from here. Yeah, I guess I you know I didn't really pay much attention to that kind of stuff because it. There was because you're so jarring. sad that Lytle's not on the book. <laughs> no, it, you know it, it. It it reminded me a little bit of Lytle, so it, it's it's almost like Laroque is kind of Lytle light, and so it was it was it was familiar, but uh, but still a little different. And there's nothing nothing that really, I don't know, grabbed my attention. I guess 
it could be an argument for it could be an argument for um, that he's you know that's that he's doing a serviceable uh, he's doing serviceable work on on the book that uh, because of that, right. And if we go back to the whole thing that he said, hey, Karen, you know, what can I do? And she gives him a script and he's doing it. Maybe he's just doing it as like a tryout. Mm-hmm. Like, is this a script that she gave him? I mean, I, 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 from what we're reading in The Companion and elsewhere, yeah, I would think that, okay. So maybe he, he, maybe he didn't even research, you know, what was came before it. Um, um, but in his mind, you know, once he gets the book, then he's able to kind of like dig in and go, okay, I'm going to make it mine and here's what I'm going to do with it. But I do like the Dawn Star if we go to the next sequence. Like again, his his um, his little poses uh, of some of these larger than life characters, you know, the or uh, they're not quite splash pages. They're just, you know, nice, almost pinup style pages poses for some of these characters. Dawnstar apparently is is one of his favorite characters. She looks great there. Well, and that so that makes sense why she's featured so prominently cuz because she doesn't really have much to do in this story other than right. I think that panel. Yeah, it, it, yeah, he does a he does a wonderful job. I, you know, I I commented on on his wildfire on page 1. Uh you you mentioned just a minute ago his the sequence with Monel. I mean, yeah, he does those kinds of poses for lack of a better word uh really well it's 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 some of his other stuff that that perhaps is not as strong but you know again this is this is his first thing and then to your point we get that element lad has sent off a second cruiser with all of these characters but they never make it (laughs) nor do they need to but they still never make it Um, (laughs) and we we got another sequence here where Dreamy once again is kind of nudging uh, Element Lad. Mm-hmm. And this time, although I liked it in other previous issues, this time I was like, okay, where are we going with this? Stop. Exactly. Stop. She's really, that's annoying. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, what, what's her point? What is she, what is she, what's her, her long game here? What, what is, what is she trying to get out of this? I don't understand where this is. Where we're going with this, yeah. Especially because this is what we're now into Element Lad's second term as leader, right? Right. Yeah, it's not like he has to prove anything to the team because he's he's already done that. Yeah. Uh, unless, you know, the only the only thing I can come up with which doesn't make sense is that she's somehow trying to undermine him, but I don't think that's what's going on. No. I mean that Star- would be that would have been interesting. Perhaps <laughs> if if that's what she was trying to do, you know, uh, a, a a bit of a coup going on in Legion leadership. But that's I don't think that's what plays out. And then you get Starboy coming into it, and it and although that conversation might be interesting between Starboy and Element Lad about Dream Girl, and then it morphs into you know yet another conversation about his decisions with the recruits. It just made me go. Oh right, Starboy. He hasn't done anything either in the in this run in this series to date. And I don't know if this is maybe Levitt's just like he has a checklist in some of these sort of transition <laughs> issues. I and was thinking like, okay. the same thing, yeah. Yeah. Like he's like, okay, I gotta what can I give I gotta touch on every single as many as I can members of the Legion. What can I do? Oh, I'll do this. You know. That's the only thing I could sort of think that mm-hmm. that he just wants to make sure we know that they are all there. 
Right. And so next issue, he might have, you know, Tyrock. <laughs> he's, he's, he's not, but you know what I mean? He's, yeah. he's going he's gonna to go through that, that list and go, oh, I haven't touched on this character. I haven't touched on that character. I'll just throw them in, in a, little, a little quick scene with so-and-so. So I guess <laughs> it is kind of funny what Shadowlass said a few pages earlier. Uh, too many new members element, lad. We couldn't handle it. There's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of meta commentary now that I think about it. But maybe it's too early to tell. Maybe it's too early to tell. I know you have thoughts about this Doc Regulus uh, Sunboy fight which is where we're headed. Um, we see that the the more experienced Legionnaires find that the recruits have been captive on this asteroid, well, within the asteroid. It's a lot of people doing like, um, Monel's like, oh, I should have looked inside the planet. I'm like, yeah, you should have. Uh, and we find that they're held captive, and it's all because Doc Regulus, once again, has a boner for Sunboy. Oh, my God, yeah. And... We get a fight, and then it wraps, and I don't know what. What did? What were your thoughts about that? Uh, other than, other than the fact that it's like, good God, man, let it go, let it go. <laughs> I, I mean, like, like I said, it, at the beginning of this, it was like reading issue two eighty three again. It, I mean, we, I, I didn't do this, but maybe I should go back and, and compare the dialogue between the two characters just to see how, how many similarities there actually are. But um, the guy just, yeah, like you said, he has a boner for Sunboy for some reason. And, and, but, this, but this time, you know, he, with the help of these uh, fire aliens, whatever they are, that he somehow found and convinced to help him, I guess, uh, he actually has the upper hand, you know, from a from a power standpoint, but uh, with Sunboy. Uh, and it only takes some ingenuity on Dirk's part to help defeat the guy, and we, which in some ways was simultaneously, well, that's, you know, at least that's different. It's not just a contest of powers. Um, but at the same time, it was also just kind of, that's how the guy's defeated <laughs> when he had so much power to begin with here. So I, you know, that, that, that part of the conflict is the least interesting to me. What I, what I really like in relation to this conflict is, um, Sunboy's word, you know, a, a, a legionnaire's word is his bond type of thing saying, let me take care of this guy. Even though, you know, you have one of the most powerful members on the team and probably even the universe here to help take care of this. Uh, but they just go along with it. And while, again, it's, it's this dichotomy of on one hand it's this and on the other hand it's that, you know, they were, it, it, it pleases me that this, the, these people have... I guess such an outlook uh, uh, for each other, with each other, this trust that that an individual can be as important as a team uh, to take care of a situation like this. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I I feel like like uh, a shrinking violet who's like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> if you're not going to help him, I will. And <laughs> but then she gets she gets stopped. 
and that that conflict that that um that difference of opinion that's the that's to me like the the meat of this story and it's just kind of uh tossed in there and then no more no more of it because then the conflict ends so i boy i really hope we get more of this kind of division you know they don't need to be uh, uh, at each other's at each other's throats all the time and arguing all the time because that's not that's not fun to read, but it would, it still it still allows for these characters to be characters themselves and not just be another face on the team who has this this ability and 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 gets to be spotlighted every once in a while. I think you're right. The the differences of opinion is a nice way to. Is, is sort of like um, a theme, I think, that we are going to see. And it, and it does remind me of, you know, when Terra went on to the group of New Teen Titans, all of a sudden their dynamic changed. And they even commented, They, you know, at one point, um, somebody says, you know, until you came along, we never fought before, you know. And there is a degree of that happening here especially when you have a team that is so big and is full of clicks. You know, we talked about that before where I, I say like the Legion is a little on a pedestal at times. Um, and I'm starting to see that here and there, and maybe some of it is my head cannon, but some of it's not. And I want to say that that's kind of like a, a little bit of a, not to use the word again, but a little bit of a theme for the five years later Legion too is that they got so big. Did they get too complacent? And that's why things happened the way they did. And I kind of felt that here, let's see, um, my point about, or some of the questions I had about the fight between Sunboy and Doc Regulus. And, and by the way, I, I do like the way LaRoque draws his regular face, um, Regulus's face. He looks crazy, as he should be. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of dug that. Um, I wrote, what did we learn? What did Sunboy learn? What did the Legion learn? Did we learn anything about this fight? Um, why was it? Why was this the thing that Levitz wanted to focus on? Maybe some of the script got away from him because he was like, all right, let me put the recruits up against a well-established villain to show, number one, maybe they aren't quite ready yet, but then again, neither are some, the Legionnaires because they you never know what to expect. And he's not just the same old, same old villain. He does have, he has a plan and he has people that um, are helping him, creatures that are helping him. But it goes to show that, you know, when the Legion buckles down and, and, you know, that they're able to defeat their villains no matter what. Um, but then I thought, okay, if the team is really going to be hard on the five recruits for being captured, but yet so was Monel and so was the cruiser, and Monel didn't look inside the planet. Um, maybe it is saying something about their own faith in their abilities and in, and in the team itself, and that maybe they are taking some of these things for granted. And that's maybe what Levitz was going for in this script to, to kind of, if 
to show that the recruits were captured. But you know what? It wasn't easy for the team either. And no matter what they might say about the recruits, this might be something that is going to be looked at from here on out, that um, they can't always just assume that everything's going to be easy because they are the legion of superheroes. A little bit of headcanon on that theory, on that little you know speculation, but um, I don't know. What, what do you think of that? No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I I, I would agree with you that uh, thinking about it that way does alleviate some misgivings I have about what's going on here. Uh, but again, it, it, will this will that come? Will we see more of that? I guess will will, will this will this supposition be supported by later material that we'll we'll get. And I'm not 100% sure that it's being supported by the issue either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah, it's, that's, I think that, that is a very tenuous um, uh, allowance that we're giving <laughs> Mr. Levitz here. It just, yeah, it just seems like a, almost like a, well, we have this change up in artists, we're considering LaRoque, I better throw in something here while Lytle is working on issue 16 you know because he needs he needs that extra time so we one this is a fill-in issue and two it's a tryout issue and i don't know i did perhaps this wasn't as polished as it could have been right but but because of the time frame you know they had to get the issue out in 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 a month and so you know things things perhaps got lost right yeah i i really feel that's the case yeah and i think I think our examination, not only of this issue, but of a lot of those little subplots along the way um, that I'm trying to keep track of, most of them, just like Chris Claremont on the X-Men, some of them may never wash out. Mm -hmm. And part of that may just be the, the nature of comic book publishing in the 80s, you know? Um, we're coming up on the crisis soon, and it's going to be interjecting into this series. Um, we're coming up on uh, a mystery, and then we're coming up on another dedicated storyline. You know, like I feel like when it's this kind of ensemble book, and and now it's the only Legion book, so you can't even split stories anymore. Um, I just wonder if if our suppositions and headcanon stuff, <laughs> the danger is that that stuff is going to be more interesting than than the actual payoff. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing on the books part because that's what I think got me into being such a fan of the Legion was that I could think about those things, you know. Mm -hmm. Maybe not to that degree when I was a kid, but it, but certainly the potential was there, and uh, and I I just wanted to read it because I was like, oh my god, here's something new, here's something new, here's something new. Who cares if it never finishes? Here's something mm. new, here's something new. So, um, I guess maybe I'll I'll be mindful of that for myself, you know, like to hopefully I don't get disappointed that none of this stuff never ends. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think I recall in the Legion Companion book that. That Levitz himself um, complained that he didn't always tie everything up like he intended, and so we we probably will see some of these things not just simply fade out and never never touched on again. Right, right. 
And uh, just uh, we had the the one interlude because it features Cosmic Boy and Night Girl. I want to I want to touch on uh, if 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 we consider this and again headcanon thing perhaps, but if we consider that this is a tryout issue, this is a fill in issue. Um, maybe uh, Levitz threw this in this little scene uh, with featuring, as I said, Cosmic Boy and Night Girl, just to throw as many characters in this as possible to see how LaRoque did with them, perhaps? Because I'm, I'm not sure what the point of this little scene is, other than to... I mean, it kind of touches on what we found out in the, the Substitute Legion special, uh, because they do talk about the disbandment of the, the substitute heroes and then the, the, the historical clubhouse of the Legion is now, you know, going to be a museum. Um, it also might be a way to transition cosmic boy into the miniseries that's coming, but that's still mm-hmm. down the road, right? His miniseries or Legionnaires yeah. three, the, the, uh, the, his, his miniseries. Yeah, that's that's a that's that's, that's years away, right? Uh, at least one year away. Okay, yeah. okay. That's well, during Legends. Right. Okay, I'm I'm jumping too far ahead. Then never mind. But it could be a nod to Legion Legionnaires Three, which is coming up shortly. But Night Girl's not part of that, right? No, but but I think because it involves Cosmic Boy and. Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad that maybe that has something to do with it. I, I'm not sure. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Well I'll be I'll be thinking of that as as we get to that yeah. series. <laughs> or it could just be the their vacation. I I thought didn't they say in the previous issue they were gonna go to her home world for a little bit? Yeah. 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 So okay, so that's just again moving that little subplot along. Right, I, I suppose, but it it was it it seems kind of again this 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 particular scene is what for me contributes to that whole feeling of disjointedness because okay fine the 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 headquarters is being is now a museum whatever uh, of course you get a founding member to show up to dedicate that great that that makes a lot of sense but then this whole thing with with Night Girl being very uncomfortable. In, in a crowd like this, I mean, it, it's not that, you know, I, I don't fault her for, for being nervous in, in the crowd and, and all that, but the way that she reacts is is uh, a little over the top on the outside, unless this is, again, it has to do with what what's the payoff down the road, unless this is introducing some bit of characterization that we've not seen in, in Night Girl before that Levis wants to add. Because she always seemed so headstrong before. Yeah, it's very confident. I mean, you know, as they left, you know, she uh, Cosmic Boy makes makes a thing about, makes a quip about about her being over age, and she socks him <laughs> and tells him, knock it off, man. And then they laugh. So I don't know. It just it seemed like a really odd interlude, I guess. Yeah, I don't know enough about her character. Maybe I, I sort of it, it kind of feels like he's saying that she's just not comfortable being a hero anymore. Um, and I don't know if that's ever been part of her personality. And the only thing I really can go on is the five years years later stuff where she does give up being Night Girl. You know, mm-hmm. so 
I took it as kind of just another way for them to go, hey, don't forget about that special. Go buy it. <laughs> well, now, if they... If they directly referenced it, you know, in with like a little editor's caption box or something, you know, go buy blah blah uh, uh, the, the the Legion Substitute special um, still on stands today, you know, whatever, you know, I could totally, I totally would buy that. I, I'd be okay with that, but yeah, again, I think the the connection is not that strong. So <laughs> again, I'm, I'm nitpicking. I'm I'm always so negative. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get to the last page, um, mm-hmm. I did want to talk about page 18. Yes. The good. one page where we actually get the recruits and they talk about their experience and all that. Mm-hmm. Because I thought I thought this actually showed them in a really interesting light. Um, I mean, number one, it's the only real page we get of them. But it shows off their personalities in very s- small bits of dialogue. And I feel like that's, it was nice to read. I was like, Oh, this, see, here's a strength for Levitz. This is what right. I like about his books. Yeah. Um, you know, you get Tellus being the ever inquisitive one, polar boy being down on himself. You know, he's someone who like he, he, and he, and he also knows the Legion, right. And his response to Tellus. um, Sensor girls just off, just scanning, just sort of like just off uh, quietly. Um, magnetic kid <laughs> just standing there doing nothing. Um, <laughs> he has one word. He says one word in the whole time. Yeah. He's, he's, even he can't believe that he's part of the team. <laughs> um, so, but I thought Polar Boy and Quizlet both have some really good dialogue bits um, when Tellus is sort of questioning uh, that they did all this simply on a legionnaire's, legionnaire's word and Polar Boy is like, you could bet your life on that, you know, like that's right. Polar Boy would know that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but Quizlet, <laughs> where he says, eh, noble, but silly perhaps, like that's, Quizlet that he's mm-hmm. he's the commenter right like he's going to comment on all this like in a way that only he can right and yeah, he he's he's like he's like data from from uh, Star Trek the next generation he's the outsider yeah. always commenting on the humans and he's not wrong in some no. ways yeah and i love that monel is like perhaps you know but but you have to humor and i guess he's going to say my colleague or something like mm-hmm. that like if that he made even Monel say, you know, yeah, maybe it is a little silly, but, um, and I think that little bit just again, my head cannon goes back to someone trying to poke a little bit at the very concept of what the Legion of Superheroes has become, and I, I kind of dig that. So, mm-hmm. if that's the role he's going to play, like Guy Gardner does in Justice League International, or you know, Hawkeye used to do in the Avengers, you know, like I, I'm all for it. So what do you think about, uh, finally the introduction of Sensor girl beyond just her showing up in a panel, uh, last issue, right? She actually has some dialogue here. Yeah. And, and, and a, uh, perhaps a bit of introduction to her abilities. 
I have some leftover thoughts that Steve Lytle has about Sensor Girl, and I thought I would drop him here in this issue, but I still think it's a little too early mm-hmm. um, because, again, she doesn't do anything, um, or not majorly. Um, but I guess the only if I was if I if I didn't know anything about her, um, but we were trying to figure out who she is. How would she know about the temperature rising? Is it something that she senses? Is it something she's getting off of the ship? I mean, she's just staring out a window, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and on that first, the first panel on that page, though, she is intently staring out out of the window at at the asteroid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I presume that she is sensing something in some fashion uh, by her statement. But, uh, but it, you know. It, Beyond that, there's there's not a whole lot there, other than, you know, the first word she says is telling Monel to hush. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, if if you if you don't know who this is, if if you're reading if you were reading this um, not knowing who this you know ends up becoming, and we'll talk about that down the road, but uh, that's pretty brash for some newbie. To be telling you know the uh, the most powerful member and one of the senior members of the team, you know to shut up basically and <laughs> pay attention to what's going on, even though they can't really see anything. Monel himself says uh, the technology of those flame creatures um, they're they're creating heat illusions, so it's hard for him to see what's going on, but right. yet she knows right. somehow. Yeah, I I, I I just thought that was an interesting way to introduce her. Uh, with with her being, telling him to shut up. Yeah. I mean, she could be saying it to the group in general because she, she's sort of just focused forward, so uh, she's just hearing noise behind her. But um, And then she also knows that the battle has begun, or at least she's saying that it's begun. So there must be something about her power set that um, it, it, they're just teasing her power set and again, I don't really want to say what Lido has talked about just yet, um, but I can see backwards. I can see sort of the evidence of what he he was saying. So, but I just thought it was interesting that, uh, like you said, it's it's just the beginnings of of who she is, but not enough to really say. I can't imagine anybody could really say, "Oh, it's this person," right? Although it is interesting that you see her, like you said, facing away from us, red hair, I mean, excuse me, yellow hair, blonde hair, and a red cape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll just, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think, I think astute readers would, would have been guessing who this potentially uh, would be based on what little we know at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would have uh, back then. I had no idea. I had no idea who it was. I had no idea who to even think it could be. I didn't know who it eventually what is going to be. But as I said, the creators didn't even know that at this point. So um, it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just just to provide a, another point to this is, uh, and this is something I'm gonna I, I want to pay attention to as we go forward in the letter columns as people write in and uh, <laughs> provide their guesses. Yeah. And so uh, in, the, in the letter column, I think in issue 20, uh, it appears uh, the, the writer thinks that Sensor Girl is Prody 2. 
which is an interesting <laughs> guess. So I'm really curious what what uh, what other guesses come along. And then we should talk about the last page. Oh yes. So what did what'd you have for that? No, just I don't know. Um, really, what I'm reacting to is, you know, the cover of the next issue. I already know what that is, and seeing seeing how Brainiac Five is reacting there, and. And that's actually an issue that I, I have read because of its connection to the larger DC universe, what's going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to say that explicitly now, but... Oh, it says uh, it says it on the page. Check out recent Oh, it does. Of, You're right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, so, you know, considering its connection to, the, to Crisis, that's why I've read it, even though I haven't read some of these other previous issues like this one. Um, given how Brainiac 5 is portrayed later, and I realize I'm jumping ahead, but he doesn't seem all that upset here. He's, like I said, in the, in the synopsis, he's, he's, he's melancholy, he's contemplative, but he's not devastated as, as he will, I think, if I remember correctly, how he will be portrayed in the next issue. Um, but, but he does say, and, you know, and 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 Levitz is being intentionally coy with the dialogue here with Brainiac Five, because um, he's he's searching for some information, uh, some piece of evidence to the contrary about the the events that he's he's re- he's referring to. And I reject the verdict of history. Uh, so so perhaps he's you know at this point he's just simply trying to solve a problem, and that's how Brainiac Five works. You know, he he's he tries to be as logical as possible. Uh, in trying to solve this this conundrum, and uh, perhaps that you know once he realizes the futility of what he's trying to do, that's when it hits him. So, I, I'm this is this was a great way to to transition to the next issue. I mean, it's, you know, ties directly into what what is coming next, and I, I like I said the the larger. The connection to the to the crisis, you know, you know, the Legion book finally gets that connection too, and so I'm very much looking forward to reading this next issue, based on this tease. Yeah, and I'm a fan of the Time Institute. Whenever I see it, oh yeah, and we're gonna get a bunch <laughs> more appearances of it. And I like the whole aspect that um, I like that bit of DC continuity that there's a lot of history that is lost. And the Legion often references that, that there's always mm-hmm. this murkiness around late 20th century or 21st century or after that, whether it was because of a war or a crisis or whatever. Um, and now knowing that this issue was written after next issue, um, it does feel a little backwards in, in his composure. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but he does say... To go in and do a little bit of tweaking, I guess. Yeah. And he says, you know, I'll not fall into that trap again. Well, you know, maybe you will because you're not as you're not as unemotional <laughs> as you'd like to think you are. Right. Well, and so. right before that, he says, I've stared at the edge of madness too often from the far side. I don't know if I agree with that because, you know, that that, that is a reference to his past breakdowns where he was literally insane for a while. Uh, and that's really one of the... That may even be the first Legion issue I ever read. Yeah, I think it had to do with uh, 
with uh, the I forget the, I always forget the name of the team that they call themselves, but the 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 team that Block used to belong to the the Assassins mm-hmm. League of Super Assassins. Yeah, yeah, and and I believe that issue opens up with Superboy coming to the 30th century and going to Brainiac Five, who is in a mental institution. <laughs> um, so you know he he has gone mad and he's he is self aware of this. But yeah, that that bit of dialogue just seems kind of weird. Other yeah. than you know, the I'm I'm not I'm not going to fall into that trap again. And well, I, hopefully that's true. It'll be a different kind of trap that he falls into, really. Yeah. And I mean, we're gonna. Uh, the, the other thing that's sort of interesting about this interlude and next issue is that we are reading Brainiac Five, who knows what's going to happen in the crisis. But he himself has yet to experience the crisis. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Right? Because issue seven of the crisis hit apparently the same month that this issue hit. I think it even came out before this issue. Because um, I have a, you know a few little notes on it. And uh, that's what he's referencing, issue seven of uh, crisis. So, yeah, that, that was something that, uh, that was always sort of weird. I was like, wait a minute. But he hasn't really gone through the crisis yet. <laughs> but he knows the history of it. And, uh, well, I guess that's what happens when you're dealing with the future. Yeah. Yeah, that that's always bothered me as well. Yeah. But those are my notes. Those are my notes for this. Uh, and I think we're in, in uh, agreement that, um, although we had a lot to say about it. <laughs> that's always we, good. We always do. Yeah. Yeah, not the strongest issue, but... Still lots of little nuggets to, to talk about. Yeah. Not the worst issue, though. No. I think they're, yeah, I think, I can't remember what other issues, yeah, yeah, still not the worst issue, I don't think, I don't think. But we don't need to compare, we don't need to find out what is the worst issue. <laughs> there is something from the letter column real quick from this issue, which, uh, one of the one of the letter writers was talking about that very same thing about, you know, I don't want my Legion team to be constantly arguing, et cetera, et cetera. And Paul Levitt says, in um, some of that may be because of the development of um, no, those developments could be because of the rougher tenor from the supervillains plot line that launched this series. And then he says, We'll consider it in the future. So I thought that was interesting, right? Yeah, like the very negative uh or quote unquote evil aspect of the first story arc kind of informing the darkness that um, has been going on that some readers may perceive to be the darkness um, or, or maybe a, a perversion of personalities and conflicts and inner, inner conflict. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I thought it was interesting that Levitz at least pointed it out. Mm-hmm. It it seems, it's really easy for him to say that because you know he's he's the he's the the scripter of the stories, and he he knows his intention. Yep. But what I'm what we don't see is in in continuity in in the in the within the characters themselves, what's going on, why that's going on, um, and if it's not examined in the even in the sense of they don't really even you know con- they're not even conscious of of the impact of that fight with the villains, uh, it can still be conveyed through, you know, whatever means Levitt's employs. It's just, I don't think he's doing it. 
he he's falling short of that and and but people are picking up on it obviously um and he just kind of i don't know not necessarily writing it off but he's he's kind of yeah i yeah it's because of this but but we're not seeing it in 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 the pages of the book itself or at least not yet shall we go on to who's who who's who number 8 so it's our continuing coverage of any legion related material from the who's who companion that is shipping at the same time as these issues that we do who's who number 8 has fatal 5 pharaoh lad fire lad and we might even say something about Barry Allen Flash. Mm-hmm. He does have a connection. Yeah, he does. I want to start real quick with this. Um, I haven't been paying attention to it, but now I sort of want to go backwards and look at all the who's who entries. But one of the things we haven't been talking about is logo design. Mm. So the logo design of like Fatal Five or the logo design of Feral Lad, both of those very generic um, and then Fire Lad, which is you know, also kind of generic. Um, but that is one thing I liked about the Who's Who versus um, the official handbook for Marvel Universe is that we got to see logo design for some of these characters. And um, maybe this isn't a good issue to start off on that because, like I said, they are generic. But um, I don't know. I, don't, I just I just wanted to point that out. Maybe some of the other ones later will be more interesting. Yeah, because none of these... I mean, Flash is the the logo that we, we've come to know over the years for this character. But the rest are, yeah, they're, they're very much pretty boring. <laughs> yeah, the Fatal Five one is kind of similar to the lettering from their first appearance mm. on the Splash page. Um, but it's not a hundred percent. So, um, so I'm just throwing that out there that, that may, that may be something I might look at if we want to look at that later. So shall we go in order fatal five? Yeah. I mean, opening up the issue page number one with, uh, my favorite Legion, um, uh, villain team of all time. So oh, okay. I, yeah. Cause well, that was, very early on, I mean the the assassins that I I just mentioned there that was the first villain team I ever encountered with the Legion, but that was one issue, and then shortly after that I I got the Digest the DC Digest that reprinted that whole Fatal Five introduction and the death of Feralad and the Sun Eater and all that stuff, and so uh, that really cemented my my appreciation for these characters. And, you know, beautifully drawn by Steve Lytle, uh, Bill Ray, helping him out there. I mean, this is this is a nice, a nice you know, splash, splashy way to introduce these characters in this issue, I thought. It's a shame Lytle never really had a chance to draw them. I know, that's exactly what I was thinking. I would have loved to have seen him do a, a, an issue or two featuring these characters. Yeah. First appearance of Venture Comics 352 from 1967, a Jim Shooter Kurt Swan story. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and I, only only six issues after Feral Lad was introduced, I I, I noticed here mm-hmm. through through Who's Who. I did not realize that uh, Feral Lad would was so er, or, or had so recently at that time been introduced. 
it is kind of interesting. We have that interlude in, in issue 15 on Shanghala, and Sensei says, I shall care for Mig, and in the end, is it not destiny that provides for us all? And there's a shot of Pharaoh Lad's um, tomb. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Jim Shooter being the weird comic book prodigy that he was, because he was so young when he was writing all that. Did he know when he created Feralad that he was just going to kill him off later? That Well, yeah, exactly. That was my question in my notes, too. Was he just created to be the heroic sacrifice in those, you know, six issues later? So let's talk about Feralad by Dan Day. Kind of an odd choice, artist-wise. Not too familiar with Dan Day. No, but I, I, I think he kind of evokes the... The, the time in which Feralad was in the book. That's true. Also another Jim Shooter creation, as we said. As you said, Adventure Comics 346 from 1966. First appeared alongside Karate Kid, Princess Projectra, and Nemesis Kid. It, it, I was, there's just not a lot to him because he, he wasn't, wasn't... Other than him being, you know, he, he sacrificed himself and, you know, he's, he's the, 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 the dead hero... Of the for the legion, you know, one of many, but wasn't he the first to really die? I think so. Yeah, before before triplicate girl. But he, I mean, even still, even if even if it was triplicate girl, they didn't really. I mean, she's still around. Right. Two of her are still around, so it's a bit different. Um, uh, and then, but then, you know, he, I, there's at least a few stories where they, you know, the, he he supposedly haunts them. Uh, but you know, beyond that, he's, he's just, you know, he's the guy that, that saved the galaxy when Superboy could not. Such an odd, like such an odd legacy. Yeah. Yeah. Such he, like I said, I didn't realize that he'd only been around for six issues before he, he was killed off. And yet he's had such an impact on the Legion ever since. Reading his origin here or his little blurb, uh, the whole thing about, He's a mutant, and he has uh, mo- he can turn himself into mobile living iron. I mean, he's Colossus before Colossus, right? In a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his whole thing about the brother in issue three hundred of Legion of Superheroes going into another parallel dimension. I mean, the whole thing is just weird. <laughs> uh, Fire Lad. What's to say about Fire Lad? Here's what I have to say about Fireland. Okay. And also about um, Color Kid, because they both were by Keith Giffen, right? And Steve Lytle and you all want to rag on Keith Giffen because he hates the subs. But he has, (laughs) they get great entries in the Who's Who. They really do have like these really full page, well, except for Chlorophyll Kid. He got a half page. But, you know. That's a big entry for Fire Lad. Sure. They don't hate him as much as you think. <laughs> I don't think Giffen hates the the subs. I just he he just likes to mess with them. Right. He he's he uh they are his favorite whipping boys and right. girl. I mean, beyond that though. I mean, yeah, you're right. That's it's a great it's a great little page uh of of Giffen and Kessel drawing fire lad but there you know there's just not much to this character he only becomes interesting to me uh down the road in the five years later i thought it was interesting that in his first appearance he wasn't named on the cover 
So if you look at the original Adventure Comics 306 cover, the subs, uh, it says like an extra story featuring, I don't know if they say the subs, but it's, um, uh, they say Polar uh, Kid, not Polar Boy, although they change it in the story. Um, they mentioned Chlorophyll Kid. They mentioned Stone Boy, I think, but they don't mention Fire Lad, even though he's in the issue. Mm. And I thought it was also weird. I mean, he's typic- He's one of those typical, I got my powers from a meteor, right? Like so many others. Um, in that first issue, I went back and looked at it. When the meteor lands, he's already in a Fire Lad costume. And then he's like, oh, I got powers. It's like, yeah, you already got. So that's that was weird. I'm like, you couldn't give him the costume after he got the powers. <laughs> was this was this another situation like uh, Comet Queen where she intentionally exposed herself? No, this to, was an to accident. Get powers? No, this was an accident. One of those, you know, because meteors they just fall and land right right near people all the time, you know. So I just thought that and, was kind of kooky. And, yeah, and miraculously not kill him. Right. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, that's all I have. And then uh, Flash, Barry Allen. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason uh, I thought to bring this up was because there is a connection to the 30th century. Right. Um, I ha- I actually went, so I was, okay. So the whole thing is that um, also around the same time as issue 15, Flash 350 was released. It was the final issue of his series. This whole trial of Flash was going on. And one of the jurors was invaded by another being. And that being turned out to be Iris West, who was not dead. Um, You know, former wife of, of the Flash. She was still alive because her soul was transported to the 30th century, which is where she was born. And then she was brought back during the trial of Flash so she could make sure that his name was cleared. And then they reunite in the 30th century once he's cleared, just prior to the crisis. And they live a short, happy reunion. So my takeaway, as I was reading at the time, was that 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 little tidbit of her origin, of her being born in the 30th century, was created for the trial of Flash. And when I read this entry about either this entry or or one of her, maybe I looked up Iris West's biography somewhere else online, I was like, what is this reference to her being born in the 30th century? Why does it feel like this was an established story somewhere else? So I looked it up, and yeah, it is a story from Flash. From like, uh, oh, I didn't write it down. It's a... It's a Robert Kaniger, uh, Irv Novick story, and I'm and somebody else. I can't remember who the other artist was. Um, where she was, she was born. A, they at that time they said a thousand years later. So I, I think it was twenty four, twenty nine seventy five. So it must have been written in nineteen seventy five. Um, I had no idea that that was actually part of her story way before nineteen eighty five. Did you know that? I no, I didn't. Yeah. I'll quick look it up again, but I was like, "What? I thought that I thought they just threw that in there to kind of like shoehorn the whole reason why she could still be alive." 
And yeah. here it turns out that it was like this one-off flash story where she really was born a thousand years in the future. Well, that was a nice little uh, callback then, bringing her back in, in that, that uh, what, the, the final issue you said of, of The Flash? Right, yeah. Or, or that final arc anyway, yeah. So bizarre, so bizarre. Were you reading Flash comics at that time? Oh, God, yes. I was reading that trial. It just went on and on and on. Yeah, the Flash trial was not my favorite story, and and certainly sales at that time dictated that he was going to die. <laughs> um, the Flash story that you find out that she's from the future is from Flash two o three from nineteen seventy one, or it probably was released in nineteen seventy, and then he goes to twenty nine seventy, not twenty nine seventy five. But the weird thing is, in both this issue. And kind of in the crisis, too, where we do see Flash in the future, is there's no mention of the Legion whatsoever. Um, If the Legion are supposed to be taking place a thousand years in the future, you would think that story might have referenced the Legion, but it doesn't. At least, I didn't really read it, I sort of skimmed through it, so. But you can't say 30th century without thinking the Legion. Right, and then you also have the, the Tornado Twins. Yeah. Who, until... Until I guess maybe this time, or or this is this is just me trying to remember back on things. But uh, I knew of the Tornado Twins before this time period of DC Comics, and it was always suggested or or um, accepted, perhaps that they were descendants of the Flash, and maybe they even right. explicitly state that. Right. Wasn't isn't Bart their son, or was at one point? Yeah, when they. When Flash goes to the future with Iris, they they are the parents of the Tornado Twins. Oh, okay, that's what I was wondering. I, I could remember if they were actually the 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 parents of them, or I don't know. I that that whole part of Flash and 30th century and all that stuff yeah. uh, is kind of murky for me still. Well, maybe that's why they did that because they were the descendants. They were de- the descendants of the Flash. Are they in the annual that we're going to read next issue? We'll have to see. We'll have to look at that. Hmm. Um, but I guess because of the crisis and then, you know, you know, I used to always hear about, you always hear about when crisis came about that they hired a guy named Peter Sanderson to do research. He read every DC comic ever for two years. And maybe these are the connections that we just, they're so subtle, you know, where he's like, oh, by the way, Iris is from the a thousand years in the future. Oh, by the way. The Tornado Twins are the descendants. Oh, so you know what we do? We combine everything. We stick Flash in the future. And maybe that's why they don't reference the Legion is because they, they're earlier than the Legion formed. And that's why the Tornado Twins are teens when the Legion come about. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so that's just somebody just putting that all together. Whoever that is. That's crazy. Crazy. It's just interesting when you finally, you know, when I finally look all this stuff up and just stop taking it for granted. I'm like, oh, wow. How bizarre. Comics are weird. It really is a universe. Yeah. Yeah. One more thing about Flash. Uh, you know, I like I said, I, I, I knew about Iris. I, I knew he was in the 30th century. Um, actually, I think I knew that through Crisis. 
there because when he appears there, that there's some comment made about him being in the 30th century. Yep. Uh, what I did not know uh, that I learned from reading the Who's Who was that the uh, the evidence that helped clear him is because it says. I think it says the evidence was sent back that exonerated him. But you you mentioned specifically that Iris, what what inhabited the body of one of the jurors or something, or or she or she physically came back to, as a juror. She inhabited. Okay. Yeah, I just uh, you know I knew he, I knew he was exonerated, but I didn't know the details of it. So I I did not know that aspect. Right. That that thirtieth century aspect. Yeah, it's a whole convoluted thing. You know, it gets mucked up by the abracadabra guy. Um, they do have to send information back from the 30th century. It's like, oh, so, you know, here in the present, we're just going to take a newspaper from the future or whatever, some kind of information and go, oh, sure, he's he's innocent. You know, I don't know. It's, just, it's very strange. <laughs> very strange. Yeah. yeah. They had to get him to a point, and that's how they did it. Right. We'll speak only to kill him off shortly after that. Yeah, the next month. Because uh, because uh, speaking of the crisis, Crisis Number Seven shipped the same month as Legion of Superheroes fifteen, which is the Death of Supergirl issue, um, uh, and Crisis Eight is where Flash goes, and he's that's the next month. But the Legion connection in Crisis Seven, um, as I was flipping through it, um, so this is where we get the revelation again to talk about like someone connecting all of this DC history. This is where we finally learn as as stated fact that the controllers are offshoots of the Owens. Although later they both would be called Malthusians. So that part oh, okay. of, yeah, from Malthus. So I guess that part isn't quite in their origin just yet. But this is the Crisis Seven is the one that connects the controllers with the Guardians of the Universe for the first time. Um, we see Block on Earth Four again, and then the two Legionnaire members who I forgot I knew I knew the one was there, but I forgot the other one. Um, when they actually go to combat the Anti Monitor in Quard, in his uh, antimatter universe. A whole bunch of these very strong DC characters, they all go, they're going to ambush him, and that's where Supergirl dies. Uh, the two Legionnaires were mon and Wildfire. I forgot that Wildfire went. Which makes sense, because he's made up of anti-energy. So if anybody could survive the antimatter universe, I would think he would. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who says, uh, it's not a famous line, but it is one I always remember. Green Lantern, Alan Scott checks in and says, hey, where's everybody at? Where's everybody at? And he's like, oh, you know, we're at this headquarters, but we, but we had a casualty. So Wildfire is the one who actually says that line, meaning and referencing um, Supergirl. Um, again, not a, not a terribly important line, but it is one I always remember. That's the one, that's the thing that set up that uh, someone was going to die, that she was going to die. And then at the funeral, Brainy is at the funeral in Metropolis in the present, along with, I assume, Saturn Girl. You can't see her costume, you just see her hair. So those are the Legion appearances. Other than the cover, there's a whole ton of Legion Legionnaires on the cover to Crisis 7. But um, there's some fun little Legion facts about the Crisis. 
Notice uh, Wildfire's costume is different in this issue compared to the issue that was on the stands of, of the of the Legion book. Ah, I didn't notice that. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's one of the costumes that we see in on page two. Hmm. Well, yeah, it looks pretty close anyway. Well, technically, Crisis, the story in Crisis takes place at least five to six months prior to whatever books are shipping at that same time. So maybe he gets, maybe he gets another uniform. Mm. <laughs> but that's just Perez going, look, this is how I'm going to draw him. If that's not what he's like in the book, too bad. Yeah. Well, we have a, a history of him having to inhabit different suits anyway. Correct. So. Correct. It works. I guess that brings us to the end. Yeah. Another issue down. Yeah. Done. Next issue, issue 16, Baptism, the final Steve Lytle drawn issue. Boy, I hope it's a good one. Well, for now. <laughs> yeah. so. Oh, no. Actually, next issue, next episode, we're doing the tales. I'm sorry. Totally forgot. We're going to do the right. the big mystery. Who shot Laurel right. Kent? So that, and then issue 16. And then issue 16, correct. Right. Right. So we're going to interrupt our normal issue-by-issue uh, issue flow, throw in the annual, and then we'll come back to 16. So it's a good thing we didn't end on a cliffhanger. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Although, I don't know, that would work too. Get people yeah. excited for the next one, and then like, here, here's, a, here's a different kind of thing for you to right. experience. Got to got to change things up just like Levitz does. <laughs> Any other thoughts on this issue? No, I don't think so. Or in general? No. No. I'm okay. good. I think we're done. Good. Yeah, we're done. Let's let's uh, wrap up and then uh uh we will be back as we said uh, whenever we find time to record again. And as always, long, long live, live the Legion Project, Project Podcast. Podcast. See you, Eric. Bye, Peter. <laughs> <laughs>